This is the Transcend Human Podcast, a weekly show where we learn what it means to rise above the human condition. We hope the conversation today is just what you need for the week ahead. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Transcend Human Podcast, August 29th, 2022, another beautiful, sunny Monday morning here in Southern California. Great to have you with us. We are in the middle of a series um, of episodes called Transcendent Deconstruction, and this week is part four. So if you are brand new to the podcast, you might want to go back uh, a few episodes and start in there. Um, yeah, but if you're following along with the rest of us, um, it is part four and we're going to just dive right in. So the minute of transparency has been kind of focused around my deconstruction. So we've been through a number of rounds of deconstruction, if you will. Um, and today is round four. So just to get you caught up to speed, um, round one, if you remember, was me deconstructing some of the basic things my parents taught me about life, right? Just dumb family stuff, uh, old wives' tales, traditions that families hold. And I think this is something that we all do, right? When we become teenagers, young adults, you know, we look back on some of the things that our parents taught us and we're like, most of it's true, but some of it you're like, I really don't know where they even got that from, right? And then I also talked about how I deconstructed some of my more traditional uh, religious beliefs uh, growing up Seventh-day Adventist, and I moved away from some of that traditional stuff to a little bit more progressive um, religious views, or what I have referred to as moving from me to we. Uh, Round two of my deconstruction journey, I talked about big church, deconstructing this whole concept of big church, um, seeing too far behind the curtains of the American megachurch movement, learning just how much of a business they really are, um, much less spiritual strategy and much more business strategy and brand strategy, right? But you have to admit, it's a tried and true formula. It's one that works, and it's one that has blown up all around the world. Um, however, that doesn't mean it's a good thing because there's a trail of trampled bodies behind some of these churches, right? Not just attendees, but volunteers, staff members, you name it, people who got caught up in this capitalistic juggernaut. Then in round three, I talked about my own personal deconstruction journey and how it was current and ongoing, right? Trying to make sense of my religious beliefs day in and day out based on culture, my current involvement in religious activities, the political climate, all of that sort of thing. So today we dive into round four of my deconstruction journey. And I'm I'm just going to describe it as highly analytical, right? It's, it's not so much removing things, changing things like it was in the first three stages. This has uh, really involved a lot more analysis and looking at data, trying to rebuild my worldview, make sense of this chaos that I'm living in. Uh, It's more remodeling, if anything, than deconstructing or reconstructing. It's determining the structure of my room, right? And then moving in the right pieces of furniture to make it livable. So what does that look like? Well, I'm not going through all of it here because 
next week, I'm going to spend an entire episode walking through um, this this thing called the transcendent future, which is really where I'm going to try to I'm going to try to boil it all down into how I went through it and and what I landed on, if you will. So in that, in part five, I'm going to try to piece together a process for reconstructing our faith, for deconstructing the indoctrination, being enlightened in the following ways. So figuring out what needs to go, what needs to stay, and then if there's any new elements that need to be added in to make sense of it all. So that's really it at its core. That's round four for me. It's just this phase of highly analytical behavior, analyzing everything about my past, my present, my future, the culture, society, trying to make sense of it all. And then in round five, my plan is to, as clearly as possible, lay out the entire process from beginning to end, from how the deconstruction started to what pieces I've put back together. But today's topic, Transcendent Deconstruction Part 4, The Stages of Deconstruction. So today we're going to walk through three things. First, understand the cost. Second, playing Jenga with your beliefs. And last but not least, how far is too far? Number one, understand the cost. So one thing that I think we touched on earlier in the series is this fact that deconstruction isn't for the faint of heart. Simply put, deconstructing isn't simple. In fact, it can be very difficult and painful. It can be lonely. It can leave you with more questions than you have answers. In my naivete, um, I probably assumed that people in the deconstruction process were happy, right? Back before this ever happened to me, I probably just assumed that people going through this process were happy because they were throwing out the moral code that brings with it restrictions and repression. Once those things are removed, you're free, right? Free to explore, learn new things, do what you want to do, do what feels good, be exactly who you think you should be. And there's nobody there to give you boundaries. What I'm trying to say is this. People who deconstruct are doing so because they want the freedom to sin as they see fit and without condemnation. Now, I can't believe I just said that because this is often the way that deconstruction is viewed by people who you're leaving behind, people still in the church or the church in general, right? The people who don't have the questions or the doubts, or maybe they do, but they just don't believe that they can think through them. And I can guarantee that this was me at some point in my life, self-righteous, looking down on people who didn't have it all figured out, assuming that the people leaving the church just couldn't hack it. They had a few screws loose. Maybe they weren't fully bought in. They just wanted to get back to the world that they had left behind. Ever think that way? Ever feel those feelings about people who leave your church? Man, looking back, I feel terrible. The indoctrination was so front and center for me. I was bought in, hook, line, and sinker. I was acting without actually thinking, like a robot, just programmed, indoctrinated to always perform the task the same way, without questioning it, until it all came crashing down. And like Neo from the movie The Matrix, I started to see through the software. I started to see the little glitches in The Matrix. Things that were probably there all along but I had easily dismissed them as random, 
right? When you don't want to believe something else is going on behind the scenes. And for me, that's when things started to get difficult. That's when the deconstruction process began and it wasn't easy or fun. I had to learn that the hard way. But then I started hearing similar stories, stories similar to mine. One of the podcasts that I listen to on a regular basis is called Bonafide. Um, It's a podcast with Jonathan Stormont. Um, I think I've mentioned it before on the podcast, but Jonathan's a pastor and he interviews people that he refers to as the religious nuns. And nuns are a growing group of people who grew up in the church world, but now identify as either agnostic, atheist, or as having no religious affiliation at all. Hence the word none. Now, most of the people that he interviews are old friends of his, right? People he went to school with, people that he used to um, go to church with. Um, So these aren't like confrontational episodes where they're debating, you know, Christianity versus atheism or or anything like that, right? These are just good old-fashioned conversations between two people. One is a pastor and one has decided to deconstruct and move away from uh, their religion, Many of these self-report as atheist or agnostic, but there are a few that report that they're on the journey of reconstruction, slowly finding the faith that existed within their religious indoctrination. And after listening to the entire first season, I started to hear a common thread, one that even Jonathan latches onto throughout the, the season, one that reinforces what I said about the deconstruction process being a difficult thing. Almost all of the people that Jonathan interviews say this in one way, shape, or form. I wasn't looking for this. I didn't go searching for this. I didn't see this coming. This isn't something that I wanted to happen. I also listened to a podcast called The Deconstruction Zone, uh, hosted by another pastor, Danny Leibarger, um, and one of his parishioners, Emily, who reports being in the process of deconstruction. And she echoes this sense of angst that she's going through, growing up in the church and even pursuing uh, college degrees in biblical studies, but with questions and doubts that led her down the path of deconstruction. But again, she doesn't talk about this process as being fun or exciting at all. In fact, she's very clear about the pain that's involved and the loss of community that went along with it. At the end of the day, it wasn't something that she could ignore or turn her back on, right? It was growth in a new direction, and she felt like she had to do it. Uh, She had to see where it was taking her and what was being asked of her. Pretty crazy, right? Now, some of you might be saying, oh, of course they feel this way because they're walking away from God, and that's one of the most dangerous things you can do, right? But that wasn't really my impression at all, listening to these stories. None of them went from being a hardcore Christian one day to a lifelong atheist the next. If you did that, yeah, there probably would be a lot of second guessing and doubts about your choice. But what these people described was something of a long drawn out process. It was this process that they didn't see coming. It was the questions and the doubts that they didn't even ask for. They just showed up one day and they never left. This is why they refer to it as frustrating, why they wished that they could wake up one day and just make it all go away as if it was a bad dream. Because on some level, deconstruction is disequilibrium, similar to standing on solid ground and then experiencing an earthquake. 
Now, this is a perfect illustration for those of us living in California or somewhere along the Pacific Ring of Fire. An earthquake has a very strange effect on you. Your brain associates the ground that you're standing on as solid, and all movement is typically happening in relation to the ground. For example, if you jump, you're jumping away from the ground. And when you land, you're landing on something solid, so your knees have to shock absorb to soften the blow. A car moves over the solid ground, a plane flies away from the solid surface of the ground, but when the ground is the thing moving, you experience disequilibrium, or a lack of equilibrium, or a lack of balance. During an earthquake, if you're standing up, the first thing you do is look for something to grab onto. Or, if there's nothing to grab onto, your immediate thought is, I should sit down, right? To be closer to the ground and less likely to be knocked over. And the same is true when you deconstruct. The things you are indoctrinated to believe make up the solid ground that you are standing on. But when you start to be enlightened, that solid ground starts to shake a bit, causing you to lose your balance. So this is what I meant when I called this section, understand the cost. Not that you should count the cost and then have that influence your decision to deconstruct, but to know proactively that there will be a cost. Understand that that comes baked into the process. Number two, playing Jenga with your worldview. So this is really where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, right? The series is called Transcendent Deconstruction. So we should probably talk about this process called deconstruction, the stages that you might go through when you're deconstructing. In the minute of transparency, I walked through the stages of my journey, round one through round four, but I got to thinking, I wonder if there are some common stages or a common process that people describe when they go through this deconstruction thing. So I did some research and I found three articles, Deconstruction's Three Phases by Scott McKnight, The Five Stages of Deconstruction by NakedPastor.com, and The Six Stages of Deconstruction by Mike Insick. Now I'm just going to go through each of these separately, um, but I think by talking through these three different ideas, it'll give you a good idea of what it takes to make it through the process. And it may sound very familiar to you, or it may be like, no, that's really not me. Um, but at any rate, these are some of the commonalities that people see with people going through the deconstruction process. So let's start with the three phases by Scott McKnight. The first he calls liminality. And he says it this way, my studies of conversion theory and apostasy concluded that those who occupy this liminal space, walk away from the faith, or they linger in liminality, or they move into reconstructing their faith on, on a different basis with a different kind of church. Many in this phase are ambiguous, anxious, wounded, and wondering. So that's kind of the stage one that Scott describes is this kind of a, it's that disequilibrium that we talked about. And there's a lot of feelings of ambiguity and anxiousness and, and wondering that goes on. Next, after liminality, he says there's elimination. And in this um, phase, he says that they're searching for the gold of Christianity, but not knowing exactly where it will be found. They can be easily irritated, even angry, and a little cynical. And Mr. McKnight explains that most of the people that he interviewed were in this phase of deconstruction. 
where they were eliminating things from their life. And then he goes on to say that the third phase or the third stage is liberation. So deconstructors become, in other words, reconstructors. They reconstruct their Christian faith from the foundation up and slowly, carefully lay one brick on another until they form a Christian faith that they find consistent with Jesus and what the church should and could be all over again. Now, I like this explanation, but obviously it's not for everyone because not everyone reconstructs, right? There are those who go all the way and give up their faith, all of it. And Scott really doesn't address people like that um, at all in his article. Next, we have the five stages of deconstruction by nakedpastor.com. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time here because this author simply steals the Kubler-Ross stages of grief, uh, which include denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And while I see this, this as a little cliche, I do think they're onto something here because going back to our first section where we talked about the cost associated with deconstructing, this cost can be grief, right? The cost can be a little traumatic. In fact, I think it can be extremely traumatic for certain people. Think about the ex-Mormon mother with six kids who leaves her husband and the church. Her entire world gets flipped upside down. And in the back of her head, all she can hear are the prophet's words telling her that she's damned to hell because she left her church. You can't tell me that she isn't primed for the stages of grief. Now, like I said, we're not going to spend a lot of time here. If you're if you're interested in more information on this on the stages of grief, um, I'm sure you can Google that and find tons of information on that because it's a very traditional view of um, working through the grief process. But let's jump to Mike Insect's um, article where he talks about the six stages of deconstruction. And I really resonate with this guy's list, probably because I can see myself in many of the stages that he describes. So let's go. Stage number one disillusionment. So this is the disequilibrium I was talking about earlier, right? You weren't expecting it to happen. Then it does. You're caught off guard. You're caught off balance. And the writer explains that it's very common to feel fear, anger, and confusion as things begin. Stage number two, the separation stage. So this is where you get to the place where you realize that you need to separate yourself from certain people, certain places, and certain things. The writer explains that it's very common in this stage to feel grief, fear, and some level of relief when you're separating from those things. Stage three, grieving stage. So you reach the place where you literally start kicking yourself for being duped, right? How did I allow myself to be involved in this for so many years? And I have nothing to show for it. According to the writer, people often go through the traditional stages of grief, the ones we just talked about, in this stage. Stage number four, the resting stage. So the resting stage envelops the feelings of tiredness with the knowledge of a job well done so far. Uh, it's often at, at this time when a person admits how weary they are of the process that deconstruction is brutally hard work and it often means the loss of the structure that you kind of relied on to, for a sense of peace. Stage five, the justice stage. So in the justice stage, uh, a person emerges from the resting to realize that there are way too many people who haven't even begun to question the status quo that you've been awoken to. 
Questions like, why am I the only one? Why can't anyone else see this craziness? This is the stage where former victims of child sexual abuse might decide to join a group like CASA, or where victims of narcissistic pastors may scream it out on social media or write articles and blog posts about clergy who are still getting away with their criminal or narcissistic behavior. This stage is filled with anger, not necessarily a hot burning anger, but one that is filled with a sense of determination, a desire to resolve things that are wrong. And then stage number six is advocacy. So according to the author, advocates go way past the anger of the justice stage. And he says that maybe one in a hundred people ever get to this stage to become an advocate. Because if you choose this path, it means literally devoting your life to that cause and never letting go of it, even if you get tired or grow weary of talking about it. Very few people make it to this stage or even choose it. But none of us would have ever grown disillusioned in the first place if it wasn't for some of these advocates and them raising the flag for others to see. So let's walk back through those one more time. The Six Stages of Deconstruction by Mike Insick. Disillusionment, separation, grieving, resting, justice, and advocacy. Now, if you read this entire article, you would quickly realize that the author is focused on trauma, right? He mentions things like being treated poorly by church officials, being shamed by a purity culture, not being accepted by the church due to your sexual orientation, sexual abuse at the hand of the church, uh, emotional abuse by narcissistic pastors. Notice a theme? In each of these cases, the person went through something painful or traumatic. And this was the catalyst that started the deconstruction process for them. Now, when I when I read through the entire article, I wanted to agree, but then disagree, right? On the one hand, I wanted to be like, well, yeah, yeah, of course. Anyone who's traumatized at the hand of the church is probably going to be forced into the deconstruction process, at least on some level. But then I wanted to also jump over quickly and say, but no, it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, deconstruction could literally start in your living room inside of your head. You could just be sitting there asking yourself questions. Why was I raised this way? Why do I believe what I believe? And you could literally start down the deconstruction process as a cognitive exercise. But the funny thing is, the more I thought about it, the more I realized I actually fall into the first category as well. At the end of the day, I saw way too much when I worked for the church. My wife and I got to see behind the curtain we watched narcissistic leaders tear down staff members in front of their peers. We watched leadership focus solely on business strategy and branding versus the spiritual care of their people. And we were both let go in ways that made you really question the intentions and the sincerity of the leadership at the church. Put all of that together, and my deconstruction process was well underway. So I really believe that there are two ways that people begin the deconstruction process. Like I said, a very fast track way to, get, to begin deconstruction is to be harmed or traumatized by the church in some way. Um, but there is that other group, right? There's the group of, of people who start this cognitive exercise, asking themselves questions about how they were raised, what they believe, what they were taught, whether they still believe it. And before you know it, both categories are in the same situation. They are in the deconstruction process which is the perfect segue into our next conversation, 
which is how far is too far? So one of the things that we've talked about a couple times in previous episodes is this whole idea that deconstruction is a slippery slope. Why? Because it's a very real thing. Anytime you start something, in this case, the deconstruction process, there are multiple ways it can end. There are multiple outcomes. So let me illustrate this way. When you become a teenager and you start going to high school parties, you will at some point come in contact with alcohol. It may be a random partygoer that shows up with a bottle. Maybe it's multiple partygoers that show up with it. Or maybe it's the entire point of the party and alcohol is either supplied by the host or the host's parents these days. At any rate, there it is, a bottle of alcohol, and you get to decide what to do with it. So here's the situation. Let's say that you were indoctrinated by your parents that drinking was wrong. Drinking of any kind was wrong, especially if you're underage, right? Then you attend this party and you become enlightened to the fact that there are people who drink all the time and allow their teenage kids to drink. So you begin the deconstruction process. You begin to deconstruct your beliefs about alcohol. And as your deconstruction process kicks off, maybe you turn down the drink at this first party. I mean, it all happened so fast, you need a minute to think about it, you need to think it through. But then at the next party, you decide to give it a go. And by the end of your senior year, you're drinking at every party you go to, and the pattern continues throughout college. Now, this is where the whole how far is too far thing comes into play. Like I said, there are multiple outcomes. There are numerous ways that this story can end. Here are just a few using our illustration. First, you continue to drink throughout college, then get married, and slow down because it just isn't something that seems to fit into your new marriage or your new vibe. Number two, your drinking ramps up through college, then you get married, and drinking is just part of your life and part of your long-term plan. It's constant, but consistent, and it never really seems to cause problems. Number three, your drinking ramps up throughout college, then you get married, and your drinking starts to become an issue between you and your wife. You get into awkward situations where you're out with the guys and a recent DUI has led to a loss of your driver's license and maybe there's court fees that start adding up. Number four, your drinking ramps up throughout college. Then it becomes full-blown alcoholism by the age of 24. You know it's a problem, but you just can't seem to kick it. You can't hold a relationship and you keep losing jobs. Now, like I said, those are just four random outcomes out of an infinite number of possibilities. But by now, you should be able to see where I'm going with the illustration. When you start down a path, it will lead you somewhere. And this is true when it comes to deconstruction. It's a process that starts at some point, then it becomes a process, a journey, if you will, and where it leads and how far things go is totally up to you. You can make a few adjustments and call it a day, or you can ride the train all the way to the end of the line. It's your choice. So back to our question, how far is too far? Well, I'm going to throw out some ideas, but with this caveat, at the end of the day, I can't answer the question. Not for you. I can only answer it for me. I can throw out some guardrails, right? I can try to draw a few lines in the sand and at least bring them to your attention. But at the end of the day, it's still up to you. If you want to ride the train all the way to the end of the line, that's your choice. 
Or maybe I should say it like this. If you believe so strongly that you need to ride the train all the way to the end of the line, then that's what you need to do. Because I believe that the voice you're hearing is your conscience, a spiritual compass inside each and every one of us that's guiding us toward truth and away from danger. The conscience could very well be our guide through the deconstruction process. And it's my belief that if we're truly listening to that voice, we won't go too far. We'll deconstruct the things that we need to deconstruct, and we'll know when to take our foot off the gas and become comfortable in our new surroundings. Now, that said, that kind of sounds um, like I'm saying two different things, right? On the one hand, I'm saying your conscience will stop you in the process. But at the same time, I'm also saying, but if you need to ride the train all the way down the line, then that's your conscience telling you to do that as well. But here's here's a, an example of what I think could be happening. I believe that there may be people whose conscience is telling them to go all the way, and they keep going, and they keep going, and they find themselves completely on the opposite side of Christianity, either agnostic or atheist. And there are times when I think that this is the place a person needs to get sometimes in order to see the light, in order to truly come to grips with what it is that they need to learn in life. Similar to an alcoholic reaching reaching rock bottom. Like nobody wants to see a person hit rock bottom, but how many people will come out of their alcoholism and be able to define that moment when they feel like they hit rock bottom and that that rock bottom was the one thing that helped propel them into recovery. But I think that's where I want to end that conversation, because if we go any further, it starts to get really deep into the fact that I'm still coming from a Christian worldview, right? So when I when I talk about going all the way to the end of the line, when I talk about, you know, recovering from that and, and uh, coming back to some level of faith, that obviously comes from my worldview as a Christian. So that's a much deeper conversation because when we talk about agnostics and atheists, they obviously have a different worldview. And so those two ideas start to conflict with each other. So that said, um, let's jump into the next section. I wanted to throw out three random thoughts about this whole how far is too far part of the deconstruction process. And again, this is coming from my Christian worldview. So it's it's going to be biased toward that worldview, right? That there is one God who created all of humanity, and that God gives us the freedom of choice to either choose him, to choose eternal life, to choose to live forever, or to choose against him. And it's it's up to us. It's our free will, what we want to do with our lives. But again, that's the worldview that I'm coming from. So number one, deconstruct religion, not spirituality. So I think I've said this before, when we start to deconstruct our church baggage that we were taught, most of it will be religious in nature. It's the do's and the don'ts, the rules, the traditions, the expectations, the denominational requirements, or or even very cult-like things uh, maybe that we were taught or, or abused with as kids. So these are things that denominations, pastors, and other human beings came up with, right? These aren't God's ideas. These are other people's ideas. But they aren't spiritual most of the time. They're just religious in nature. They're religious do's and don'ts, religious activities. 
And we need to look deep inside and allow our conscience to guide us when it comes to the spiritual things. So this will look different for everyone, but for me, this is just a line that I've drawn in the sand. I am okay with deconstructing as much of the religious stuff as necessary, but not at the expense of the spiritual or the faith side of me, because I still believe that there's a God, and I still believe in Jesus and the work that he did on earth. That's the spiritual piece. That's the faith piece that I just can't let go of. Now, this makes it very awkward sometimes when I'm, you know, when I'm talking to other people. It's awkward internally for me as I have conversations with myself. Um, but they're conversations that I need to have. And then there's the daily onslaught of conflicting data, stories, misinformation, right? Things that we're inundated with through TV, radio, podcasts, news, and of course, social media. So taking all of that stuff in, my recommendation or my the line that I've drawn for myself anyways is that I'm going to deconstruct religion that's in my life, but not my faith, not my spiritual side. Number two, fish with a large net. So one of the things that we tend to do when we start to deconstruct is we gravitate toward people like us, right? And this can be good because on the one hand, it helps us see that we're not the only ones out there who feel like this, that feel like there's something wrong with the indoctrination that we experienced as kids. However, there is this thing called confirmation bias, where you basically start to search for, interpret, favor, and recall information in a way that confirms or supports your new beliefs. And this can be very dangerous because pretty soon you've surrounded yourself with so much information from the opposite side of the equation that you start to believe that that has to be right because it's what everyone else believes. And in so doing, you've literally come full circle. After all, isn't this how you were indoctrinated in the first place? Your parents and your friends and your pastor and your youth pastor, they all told you the same thing. So it's what everyone must believe, right? This is actually one of the most dangerous things about social media. Uh, on TikTok, for example, your feed or your for, your for You page is literally an algorithm, right? It quickly changes to match the things that you watch the most, the things you like, the people you follow. And before you know it, the entire world looks like it believes exactly the way you do. If you're way on the left, you'll see people bashing Trump all day long on TikTok. If you're a Christian nationalist, you'll see people bashing Biden and calling for an overhaul of the government. But that's not seeing clearly. That's fishing with one fishing pole in a pond that's stocked by the Department of Natural Resources. The hook goes into the water, and what do you know? Another trout, just like the last one you caught. So what we need to do is take a different approach when we fish. We need to go out into the large, vast ocean and throw out a massive net that will catch all sorts of things. You haul in the catch, you look things over, you determine what stays and what needs to go back in the ocean, and this allows you to fight against that confirmation bias. Number three, keep a level head and an open mind. So these are probably two of the hardest things to do, right? My guess is that many people who choose to deconstruct are disillusioned, experiencing that disequilibrium we talked about, and they're probably very irritable and angry on some level. So out of instinct, what do we do? We run, right? We flee. We get as far away from the pain and the problem as we can. 
And if our safety is involved, then that's great. We need to get out of that situation. But for others, maybe there isn't a safety issue, right? It's just anger or frustration with the system. And when this is the case, the more level-headed and open-minded we can be, the better. It will help to keep us from throwing the baby out with the bathwater. In my situation, I saw this firsthand because I was the one doing it. I was mad at the church. I was mad at the leadership within the church. So I left, and I still haven't really returned to church. Sure, I go every now and then to a different church, but it's still hard for me. I want so badly to connect with the church and with people on a meaningful level. I want to go and get things from the weekend messages. But at the same time, it's so easy for me to jump back into my feelings. I get judgmental. I get angry. I start to see the hypocrisy, the lies, the manipulation in places that maybe they don't even exist. I see how the formula is still being followed and how it takes me right back to those days when I was part of the problem, when I was an agent of the church, so to speak, blindly following the leadership, assuming that they all had good intentions. So it's a fight that I have to fight, but it's a worthwhile one. I just have to remember to keep a level head and keep an open mind as I'm trying to determine what's the next right thing for me. So let's land the plane. Hopefully this week was helpful. We got to dive into the actual process of deconstruction and see what it looks like from the inside. Next week, we finish things up with part five, the transcendent future. And really my question is, what does, what does it look like after deconstruction, right? What does life look like after we go through this process? How can we still live lives with purpose and meaning, even after giving up some of the things that provided that for so long in the past? Until then, here's a couple questions that you can ask yourself this week if you're in the deconstruction process. First, have you ever thought about the cost of deconstruction? What have you experienced? What are you concerned about in the future? Number two, did you resonate with the stages of deconstruction that we walked through? And if so, where do you see yourself? Where are you at in the process? And what stage are you in and how is it going? Number three, have you ever thought about the end game? How far is too far for you? Do you have a line that you won't cross? Or are you just taking things one day at a time? Again, thank you so much for being here. Um, if you are not in the middle of deconstructing, I'm just glad you're here. I love that you're here listening in um, and being part of this conversation. And I am so glad you are where you're at. If you are deconstructing and you're just looking for others going through the same thing, I'm glad you're here as well. And if you're a deconstructing person and the cost seems too great, like you're barely holding on, then I'm so glad you chose to be here today as well. Uh, but don't hang out in the shadows. Don't just sit there in silence. Reach out, connect with somebody. Talk through the difficulties that you're facing because there are other people facing the same things that you're facing. Uh, we would love to hear your story if you feel comfortable sharing it. You can reach out to us here at the program, uh, info at transcendhuman.com, and let us know um, how things are going for you. Until next time, everyone, have a great week. And as always... Keep transcending human. Thank you.
you for listening to this episode of the Transcend Human podcast. If you're interested in the show notes for this episode, head on over to transcendhuman.com forward slash podcast and navigate to the episode you're looking for. On the website, you'll also find blog posts, podcast series, and other helpful resources to help you navigate the Transcend Human ecosystem. You'll also find links to our social media channels, and as always, if you have questions, feel free to contact us at info at transcendhuman.com. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you back here on Monday morning.